arms outward until they were level with my shoulders. The careful deliberation was so that the nervously inclined wouldn't be deceived into thinking that I was contemplating anything ridiculous like resistance. It was probably a pretty superfluous precaution, as the man behind that immobile pistol didn't seem to have any nerves, and the last thought I had in my head was that of resistance. The sun was long down, but the faint red afterglow of sunset still loomed on the northwest horizon, and I was perfectly silhouetted against it through the cabin doorway. The lad behind the desk probably had his left hand on the rearstat switch, ready to turn it up and blind me at an instant's notice. And there was that gun. I was paid to take chances. I was paid even to step on occasion into danger, but I wasn't paid to act the part of a congenital and suicidal idiot. I hoisted my hands a couple of inches higher and tried to look as peaceful and harmless as possible. The way I felt, that was no feat. The man with the gun said nothing and did nothing. He remained completely still. I could see the white blur of teeth now. The gleaming eyes stared unwinkingly at me. The smile, the head cocked slightly to one side, the negligent relaxation of the body. The aura in that tiny cabin of a brooding and sardonic menace was so heavy as to be almost palpable. There was something evil, something frighteningly unnatural and wrong and foreboding in the man's stillness and silence and cold-blooded cat-and-mouse indifference. Death was waiting to reach out and touch with his icy forefinger in that tiny cabin. In spite of two Scots grandparents, I'm in no way psychic or fey or second-sighted. As far as extrasensory perception goes, I've about the same degree of receptive sensitivity as a lump of old lead. But I could smell death in the air. I think we're both making a mistake, I said. Uh, well, you are. Maybe we're both on the same side. The words came with difficulty, a suddenly dry throat and tongue being no aid to clarity of elocution. But they sounded all right to me, just as I wanted them to sound, low and calm and soothing. Maybe he was a nutcase. Humour him. Anything, just stay alive. I nodded to the stool at the front corner of his desk. It's been a hard day. Okay, if we sit and talk, I'll keep my hands high, I promise you. The total reaction I got was nil. The white teeth and eyes, the relaxed contempt, that iron gun in that iron hand. I felt my own hands begin to clench into fists and hastily unclench them again. But I couldn't do anything about the slow burn of anger that touched me for the first time. I smiled what I hoped was a friendly and encouraging smile and moved slowly towards the stool. I faced him all the time, the cordial smile making my face ache and the hands even higher than before. A peacemaker colt can kill a steer at sixty yards. God only knew what it would do to me. I tried to put it out of my mind. I've only got two legs and I'm attached to them both. 
I made it, with both still intact. I sat down, hands still high, and started breathing again. I'd stopped breathing, but hadn't been aware of it, which was understandable enough, as I'd other things on my mind, such as crutches, bleeding to death, and such like matters that tend to grip the imagination. The colt was as motionless as ever. The barrel hadn't followed me as I'd moved across the cabin. It was still pointing rigidly at the spot where I'd been standing ten seconds earlier. I moved fast, going for that gun hand. But it was no breakneck dive. I didn't, I was almost certain, even have to move fast. But I haven't reached the advanced age in which my chief thinks he honours me by giving me all the dirtiest jobs going, by ever taking a chance, when I don't have to. I eat all the right foods, take plenty of exercise, and even although no insurance company in the world will look at me,